Hello and welcome to the Sounds Right podcast. I'm the host, Laura, and in this episode I'll be talking to Helen Hampton. Helen is a Sounds Right trainer based in Western Australia. Helen works a lot with small and rural schools in her region, so this episode is focused around advice for teachers at these types of schools. Helen discusses how to get started implementing Sounds Right in this setting, how to maximise your resources and how to teach phonics to mixed age classes. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi Helen, welcome to the podcast. Hi Laura, thank you for having me on. I'm absolutely delighted to um, talk a little bit about um, training in remote rural schools. Yeah, really looking forward to hearing about this. It's, I think, going to be a really interesting topic and very helpful for teachers at those schools, hopefully. Yes, I'm sure it will. It's it's a, it's a slightly different journey from some of the larger schools or more metropolitan schools. And I think even um, schools in the UK as well. Yeah. So, Helen, could you begin by telling us a bit about you and your professional background for any listeners who don't know you already? Okay, well, I'm thrilled to share a little bit about my background and my journey into the world of literacy. Um, I originally hail from the northeast of England, specifically Middlesbrough and Teesside, and I made the journey down under to Australia in 1991. So I've been here for over 30 years. And my professional journey has been quite diverse. Um, In the 1980s, I qualified in what's known as operational management and subsequently held some senior management roles in retailing and in recruitment throughout the late 80s and early 90s. And interestingly, a significant part of my career involved training and development of staff, and that proved to be quite transferable to literacy later on. So when my children arrived, I found myself lecturing at Technical College and also managing my own business as well as raising my kids. And my foray into the realm of literacy began in 2007 when my daughter Matilda was diagnosed with double deficit with dyslexia. And I was very, very fortunate that her psychologist, who was from the University of West Australia, emphasised the importance of a linguistic approach to phonics. And I think it was one of those moments in your life where the world the world stops. And I was thinking, what is the difference with linguistic phonics? Anyway, I, I stuck to exactly what she said and I followed her recommendation and I found a local speech pathologist who specialised in applied linguistics and a, a linguistic approach to phonics and targeted intervention. And after a couple of years of intensive tutoring, um, we we really began to see a lot of progress. And then I was able to take over and I dedicated about two to three hours per week working with Matilda until she got parity with her peers. And she's fine. She's in her late 20s and no difference. It's great. It was a wonderful journey. And then... This journey led me really to sort of really delve deep into, you know, how students, especially those with with them learning difficulties and dyslexia, acquire literacy or have so many, many issues with it. And so that led me to look at cognitive load theory, looking into work and memory um, and just, you know, how how it all goes together. It became a bit of a passion of mine. And so I studied it quite at length. And then in 2011, I decided to formalise my experience and I trained as a specialist literacy tutor 
and set up a clinical practice in um, my lovely little picturesque town of Margaret River. But I was really, really surprised that the training focused on traditional phonics, which I really found very, very cumbersome compared to the linguistic approach that I'd been used to and that I'd had so much success with. And then I was I was de deliberating whether or not, you know, what, how do I know, what do I do with, with this? And I, and I actually did tweak uh, a lot of the, the programme or, or tweak the programme that we, we had to use to a more linguistic approach. So I did move it around a little bit. But then I, I came across, I'd started reading a little bit about sounds right. And when it came available in Perth, I just jumped at the chance. And I was just delighted that first morning when linguistic phonics was mentioned that it was a linguistic phonics program and I just was just delighted and a lot of the um, lessons actually were quite familiar to me and then um, as soon as I finished the course I just transitioned all my students straight over to the program and the results were remarkable and um, I never looked back and yeah I just got busier and busier and then I realised that um, the, there was such a lack of knowledge um, in the area where I live on linguistic phonics or even any. It was a very, very whole language, literacy based. And it was it's very difficult at those, in those times to actually get to Perth and, you know, get good quality training. And if I could become a sound right trainer, then I could, you know, do something about that situation in, in the rural southwest. And so I became a trainer in 2018 and I'm based in the picturesque town of Margaret River in the southwest and Maureen McDaniel and I have a partnership, Sound Literacy, and between us we run Sounds Right courses throughout the southwest and we travel to remote areas as well and we also deliver online training throughout all of Australia and even New Zealand, Singapore, Thailand. Uh, it's just absolutely delightful and I'm just so grateful to be contributing to the literacy developments um, in a lot of the diverse communities that we visit and also just to try and change the landscape a bit in the, the more remote areas too. Oh amazing, thank you so much. So we're talking in this episode about small schools and rural areas. So for those of us who aren't really familiar with that context, could you tell us a bit about what that actually looks like? You know, how small, how rural, how many classes or students and staff members, all of that. <laughs> it, it's, it's, that that's, it's such a difficult question. It's a huge question, actually, because I'm, I'm, as I've mentioned, I come from the UK. And what a rural school looks like in the UK to what a rural school looks like in West Australia is, is very, very different. Um, and I think we I'll, I'll do a little bit of background geography for, for those listeners who, who don't really understand the size of West Australia. And it's a vast, vast expanse and it commands about one third of the Australian landscape. And it stretches over, you know, nearly two and a, or just a little bit less, two two thousand four hundred kilometres from the tropical north, which is monsoonal, um, to the windswept coastal heaths in the far south. Um, West Australia's uh, main cultural capital is Perth, and it's one of the largest and most isolated cities in Australia. In fact, I think in the world, and it holds eighty percent of the population, which is which is mad in a in a state this size. 
And so the rest of the state is quite sparsely populated. And as of 2023, Western Australia had about um, a population of about two, 2.8 million with stretched out over 2.5 million square kilometers. So it's a huge, huge expanse. So as I've already mentioned, we've got um, deserts to the east in the middle and we've got beautiful oceans and seas to the to the west. Um, and basically the rural schools vary as much as the weather. So you can have these tiny little um, schools with about 10 students, you know, in a very, very isolated area with, you know, nothing around for about 150 kilometers. And when I say nothing, I mean, it, there's no shop, there's very few shops, maybe a petrol station, something like that. Um, and then access can be very, very difficult, especially in the northwest, the Kimberley region, because um, they've got a quite, it's monsoonal. So in the wet season, roads can become quite impassable. So getting in and out is, is problematic. And schools there are situated in the main centres, such as Broome, or in the remote communities, often on traditional Aboriginal land. Um, and as I've already mentioned, you can have tiny institutions with 10 students, a teaching principal and a teaching principal, to larger ones with about 120 students, where you, you get pre-primary to year 10. That's just a little bit of background knowledge, because it does... When we say remote schools in West Australia, we actually do mean remote schools. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I can imagine, especially, you know, I'm thinking you described there one of those really tiny schools where you've probably got one teacher teaching multiple age groups in a classroom. I guess that must make practitioners into absolute superstars when it comes to things like differentiation so what is it about these contexts that's so challenging in ways like that, but also so special, I can imagine, in many, many ways? Um, one thing that we do have in, in those remote schools in West Australia is that they do actually have um, quite high turnover of staff. And so even in those teeny tiny schools that can sometimes have um, eight to ten students with a teaching principal an EA and a staff member and a teacher, those teachers quite often are replaced every year um, as they're, they're usually graduates straight out of the university. So it's the EA and the principals that really hold the education. And um, so if you are a graduate teacher coming straight into a school, they really need to build relationships very, very quickly first. And I think that's the, the main thing. And I think that's why Soundtrack is so good because it does allow teachers to interact with students, therefore facilitating really good student and teacher relationships. And once you've got that connection and that relationship, then you've got the differentiation um, in place because quite often they may be in a really teeny tiny school. They'll have from pre-primary to year six in one class. And so they've got to be very well organised. Um, if they've got a trained education assistant, that education assistant will be really doing a, a lot of backup as well, because you can't really, you know, they'll have to split the pre-primaries who have just started um, on their um, learning journey to, you know, the year three, four, five and sixes. So they, they, they have to be very well organised, but they do, they are master that organisation and differentiation. Um, but the, but within that as well, the diversity within the classrooms varies enormously. For for example, in the Kimberley, 
English is often the third or fourth language spoken. And so you, you do have um, to manage that as well. And then also in the southwest, there's very high proportion of um, English as a second language students due to um, the mining industry and also agriculture as well. And most of those students are going to come from Africa or Asia and they have little to no English when they, they go into the classrooms. And again, that connection with the teacher and the fact that Sounds Right is so interactive, it means that those students can participate in those lessons straight away. And again, the teacher can differentiate as well with those students. So even if they are, you know, say in year two and, you know, they're their peers are at a different unit, you know, the teacher can still um, deliver a different, um, the same lesson, but with a different unit with those children as well, so that they can feel part of the whole class and part of the lesson. And they can get um, success straight away. And they, it does build trust with them in the system. And it, it always amazes me how quickly students with them, English as a second language, do actually pick up um, English when they have to, when there's no one else there speaking their own language. But I think another thing which really um, Soundtrack has is um, you can keep a very brisk pace with it and so student keep students engaged in the lessons because a lot of these kids are farm kids and they want to be out outside um, you know on the on the machines and with with the farm animals so you know keeping them really really engaged is helpful and again the use of whiteboards I, I you know I think that's one of the greatest things because if students do make a mistake there's no shame they just rub it out and start again and um and no one yeah no one really worries about it but i think one of the challenges in in the west australia remote rural schools and i think it's possibly there's similar throughout um rural australia to be honest is there is a high rate of absenteeism among students and this can be for many reasons it's often access to healthcare, so if they've got to go to a specialist dentist or speech pathologist or um uh um, a specialist doctor, they're normally in the regional centres, so it, it will in, involve a lengthy car drive. Um, also, if they need, when they're bringing in the harvest, there's a lot of wheat production in West Australia, some of the older boys will be going to help their dads on the farm. And just in the, in the um, especially in the Kimberley, there may be some cultural reasons as well where, where they're not attending schools. So because of that, ensuring that students catch up to their peers, it's essential that you know schools manage um, manage it. And so they and it's quite diverse and interesting how they all do it. And some provide small group, which is tier two intervention outside the main sounds right sessions, but within the school times. Others actually provide um small group or, or even one-to-one -one intervention before school starts so from 8.30 to um, 8.50, 20 minutes and that works really really well and then other schools provide short sharp one-to-one -one. so they'll just you know say students been away for three days and they'll just sort of grab them out and um, while the class are doing something again outside of the sounds rights main sounds rights session and do just a little bit of short sharp um, dictation or a little bit of word building or some reading um, and just do that regularly just so that they you know can catch them up really really quickly and again quite often it's the EAs who do this and I think 
the because these schools are quite small and um, you know teachers can really identify students needs very very easily and quickly and um, and really they can move with that it's it's really responsive teaching at its best and um, and there's definitely not a one-size-suits-all model and even within a school they will use different models depending on the students which is really nice to see and I, I think i've already mentioned it's an interesting point to note it's often the eas that deliver the intervention and often as they're the most experienced practitioners within the school because they're the ones that are stable there and then um, they often drive and keep the integrity of the programs as well and they're very very highly skilled um eas and teachers and i think what i what i really really like about um the small communities and uh, and when i've talked to teachers and eas and the principals and um, they really not only get to know the students but they get to know the families that they're working with and the schools are normally these and um, the hubs for the communities and and so families are often on the school board or part of the parents and friends associations and um, and so they you know they really do form quite a close-knit group and um, it's a very 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 special area wow it sounds amazing so as you know very well from the perspective of sounds right and a sounds right trainer one of the major challenges in training and supporting these really rural and remote schools in person of course is the distances um as you've described so how do you as a trainer manage this um well i think because i come from a rural community myself i've always had a lot of empathy um of how difficult it is and, and was to acquire quality training and so I think it was one of my goals um, when I became a sounds right trainer to always help rural schools access tra- sounds right. So having that that passion to really, really help them and also understand some of the challenges has, has really made a, a difference. But I think one of the, the big game changers for supporting a lot of the rural schools has been the online courses. It's been so powerful um, and it's really helped a lot of rural schools and communities access the training because distance is not a limiting factor it's it's fantastic and you know we regularly train many rural schools from victoria west australia new south wales and queensland and south australia and it's what is really really nice is on the discussion forums on the online courses is where they start to share their knowledge and share their different experiences the size of schools and if you have had schools that are you know, gradually implementing or training new teachers who've implemented sounds right, those teachers actually share their experience of observing it in the classrooms as well. And so it's really, really nice to to read the read all of those um discussions. And the other thing where we support them, especially on the online training, we all have our weekly Zoom meetings where we're able to answer questions and give direction on implementation and what it could look like in a composite class. Because there's composite classes vary as well. You know, it can be a composite class of two age groups or it can be a composite class of the whole school. So it does vary accordingly. Um, but we also always, if we have um, delivered some face-to-face training in a rural area, I always will offer a follow-up Zoom meeting and make sure that they have my the schools have my contact details so that you know teachers can give me a call or 
they they can email us as well always always and we provide that too but i think what has been another another great help has has been the practitioner portal we've had such a great response from our remote communities with it because of the you know it's really helped with the planning and a lot of the resources and especially some of the downloadable texts and mainly because hard copy books and resources can take a long time to reach some of the remote, remote areas, especially in the wet season. It can take, and if there's road closures, it can take up to over two months to get hard copy items up there. And so it means for them that they can access text immediately, which is just fabulous. And, and it means that they can implement the program immediately as, as soon as they've been trained online or face to face. They can download all the resources. And if they don't have Internet access all day, which many of them don't, they can just get really well prepared, get everything downloaded and accessed. And um, they don't need it. And if the electricity goes off as well, they can still deliver. Um, and the other thing as well, I think, to note, again, on the portal there, the top tip videos for each lesson. So if, you know, I always bring that to the attention, especially when we're doing the face-to-face -face courses, so that if we're not there, that they do have a little bit of backup if, if they can't quite remember um, what we did at the face-to-face -face training, which is different, whereas on the online training, they've got six weeks, so they can actually go and revisit a lot of the videos, but the face-to-face, -face, they can't. And so it's also a great, you know, if, you know, two or three months down the tracks, you know, teachers can actually refresh their post-training knowledge. And again, we have regular webinars that run every term. I actually, I do, I deliver the extended code webinar, and so we've got them all scheduled in for each term next year. And I think one of the, the great things um, about Australia, I know there's a, um, one in the UK, is our closed book, not closed book, closed group Facebook page, which is brilliant for sharing ideas and knowledge about how different schools implement Sounds Right. And I know um, I've gone on there numerous times just to sort of have a look at, at the, diff um, the different um, schools and what they're doing. And there's some great chats between some of the remote um, teachers as well. It's really nice to see. So from your experience, what what is it that makes Sounds Right work for these small schools? Like what's good about Sounds Right for use in that sort of setting in small or remote schools? Well, I I think and I did actually have a ring around with a with a couple of principals about this and, and a couple of teachers to have a really good chat with them. And it, they they chose Soundtrack because of the theory and um, so that it gave and um, the theory and the practice so teachers understood why they were doing what they were doing and I've always uh, that's one thing that I've it's always appealed to me about Soundtrack so the, the why as well as the how of training and they 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 confirmed that for me so I think that's one of the main things and I think when you're working with a diverse group of students Understanding the why you're doing things is really important. So if you think you've got a, you have a, a class of say three composite classes, you've got pre-primary year one to year two, and you've got four students who are English as a second language, understanding why you do things and how children acquire literacy skills is really, really important. And um, now the other thing is, well, the, a lot of the school leaders in these schools have an absolute passion for education and they want to ensure that their students have access to great education, that distance is not 
is not an issue and they want great teachers to provide it and they've all said that great teachers have to have a really good understanding of the underpinning theory with what they're doing and they say you know they all said exactly the same thing that sounds right did provide this so that was really really nice to hear but i think the explicit delivery of sounds right works well with this so our our very explicit lessons uh, just they're just fabulous and the other thing is well where sounds right has been implemented with um, fidelity the results speak for themselves all the students well and the teachers as well are confident and successful which is really nice and i think that success just breeds success and um, and they just keep going with it which is just lovely and I think sounds right's flexibility is is another reason why that they choose it. So it can be used as a you know a whole school approach, and um, even with comp composite classes. And it can be used as tier two small group intervention, and tier three one to one intervention. And if you just for example, if you've got a school, a really small school with only ten students, having one program certainly does make a lot of sense. Because if you've got a one program for pre-primary, then another one for year one and two, and then for the rest of the school years, you're going to have another one, and then you have another one for intervention, and you've got ten students one EA, a teaching principal and a teacher, that's going to involve a lot of organisation and a lot of knowledge, a lot of training. So if you've got one program, which sounds right, is that can do all of it, it does work really, really well. And that's one of the reasons where they have taken it on board and, and they, they do work with it really, really well. And the other thing, once teachers and the education assistants are trained, it can be implemented straight away and access the resources. And especially again, and I've already mentioned the um, the portal and you know the downloadable, decodable books. And the other thing I think the language of the scripts is consistent as well across the schools. The schools, so the students get to know the routines, they become confident. Um, even when there is no power, which is, you'd be surprised how often there is no power in the rural areas, um, sounds right sessions can still continue because it relies on the skills of the teacher, whoever's delivering it. Um, and if they can even go outside if needed, and I know John Walker um, has always said you can teach sound right with a stick in the dirt. And you know, for many rural schools, this actually is a reality. They they do go outside and do go on country and do teach you with a stick in the dirt, which I just think is fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, we do have all of these resources, like the portal and you know the Facebook groups and all of that kind of stuff, but. Ultimately, Sounds Right is a no bells and whistles approach. You can just get the manual and start teaching whatever you have, whatever resources you have available, even if it's just a whiteboard. Exactly. And I think um, as well, what is really good about it is teachers are in control of word choice. So they can choose words which are irrelevant to their community. For example, I always teach plough and drought because they're, you know, they're irrelevant for kids who are grown up on farms. Whereas if you're in a metropolitan school, plough and drought may not be, you know, relevant to them. So having that control of word choice, I think is really, really helpful. And that again, word choice does help um, your students to connect with you because you're using words that are relevant to them and they are in their vocabulary. And I think that's the other thing that's quite powerful about Sounds Right too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone listening who might have maybe recently trained in Sounds Right and they work in a rural school, how would that kind of school go about implementing Sounds Right and where would you suggest that they start on that journey? another big question Laura (laughs) I think you've got to ask yourself what's the size of a school first really if it's a really small school with one teacher an EA and a teaching principal I think it's going to make most sense for everyone to train and implement the program across the school you know especially if you've got eight to ten students and usually they're split into two classes or even sometimes you know you've got one class with them all in I think that's where it's going to make a lot of sense then if if the teacher's sick, the EA or the principal can look after the students. So that that would make a, a lot of sense. Um, and then if um, and then the pre-primary students can um, commence the initial code, and older students they will need to be assessed to determine their skills of blending, segmenting, and phoneme manipulation. If they're able to blend and segment four and five sound words, then they could begin the bridging lessons before commencing the extended code. If not, determine where on the initial code they need to start. For example, if they can blend and segment CVC words, then they can begin at unit eight of the initial code. Now, for larger schools, you need to decide if you want a staged implementation. So what I mean by that is, do you begin at pre-primary in year one um, and train those staff first? And then as students move through the school, train staff as you go and I think that is another approach and I think what you need to ask yourself um, is if a school is struggling to decide whether they want a staged approach or they're going to do the whole the whole school is have a think about the upper school years for example years three four five and six Um, how many phonics programs have they been exposed to what type of literacy instruction have they had um, what about and what are their abilities now if their abilities are okay um, and they're, they're you know they're, they're doing all right well, then maybe introduce the program to the lower levels and then stage the implementation or if not if those students are you know they you know they've had a bit of a mix or something's happened then maybe implement it and deliver it to those upper years now, if, you know, regardless of, um, you know, if you're doing a stage delivery, it's, sorry, staged implementation or whole school implementation, the main thing is that if you're going to start, you always start the pre-primaries at, at unit one, depending on where they are, and then see where your subsequent year groups are and, and then, you know, assess seeing what their skills are of blending, segmenting and phoneme manipulation similar to what I said for the smaller little rural school you always do a similar thing what are their skills and then start them either on the initial code or bridging units extended code accordingly but it's always about their skills I do know that um, some schools opt to keep their existing programs and use Soundrite as an intervention although I'm, 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 I'm a much bigger advocate of let's Let's put sounds right either staged, implement it or put it all in as a um, whole school because you're not, you know, they do, they will get um, improvements with their inter- intervention groups. But if you, if students are exposed to two or three programs, it can be very confusing for them and, and they won't get the best results. 
Now, once a school has decided how they're going to implement the programme, whether it's staged or, or they're just going to go all out and everyone will be trained, um, it's really important that you that you support those newly trained EAs and teachers. So regular peer-to-peer -peer reviews of lesson delivery, you know, get, get them familiar with, you know, giving and receiving feedback from each other on how they're going with their scripts and delivering in class. And I think that's, it can be really challenging at first, but it's really, really helpful. And I know that's something that we have on the online course where they have to, um, participants have to film themselves delivering um, some of the soundtrack lessons. And it's very daunting at first, but so helpful. We always get so many good reviews about it. And it just really ensures that the scripts are delivered with fidelity. And also at staff meetings, you know, regular script practice and going through error corrections, you know, and again, yeah, staff meetings are great for that, or even in, impromptu, you know, staff meetings are really, really good. But just really supporting staff and using some of the um, top tip videos that I've already mentioned and, you know, and, and keep that conversation going as well. And um, now to assess students in the classroom, teachers will be using formative assessment. Um, at for you know all the time, which is this, and this helps to plan and structure lessons and monitor student progress as well. And this is always in the form of dictation, quizzing, or reading in text as well. So that's something that it's you know it's um inter you know you're interacting with your students and you're just making sure that you're um you know watching and listening and all the time. Now, more summative assessments can be the year one um, phonics screening test. And I know Sounds Right has actually just tweaked the year one phonics screening test. So you can actually do it at the beginning of year one. So it's only got the initial code and um, sound spelling correspondences. Then you can actually do another one that at the end of year one, which has some of the extended code sound spelling correspondences. So that would be a really, really good one. There's also the young par Young's Parallel Spelling Tests as well. They're a really, really good for summative assessments. Then for reading, you've got the YARC, which is the York um, Assessment of Reading Comprehension as well. Or the Dibbles, which is a, which has a, is, has got a non-word component. I actually have never delivered the Dibbles, but I've heard some very good reports. And then there's also NAPLAN, which is the Australian National Assessments. Now, if you have a composite class of varied age groups, for example, if you've got pre-primary to year two, that's often um, quite popular, you probably have to run two separate groups because you'll have your pre-primary students on the initial code, and then your year ones and year twos will highly be highly likely on the extended code. Um, if you have a trained EA, fantastic. This can make life much easier so they can run the pre-primary initial code group while the teacher delivers the year one and two extended code group or, or vice versa. Um, with the extended code group, you can actually start working them in tandem and differentiate through word choice, but use a common phoneme focus. For example, um, as new code for year ones or review for year for year two so you, know, you can use unit one sound a and unit 27 sound a so you can just do some slight deviations from that and they will readily be able to work in tandem with lessons six seven eight and even nine and then when students are ready you can actually start bringing in the polysyllabic lessons 11 12 13 14 and 15 
And there's also some lessons that um, all the groups can actually do together. So, for example, lesson three, um, nonsense word sound swap. You know, you can deliver it to the whole pre-primary and year two group once the pre-primary students are at unit nine of the initial code and you've, you know, you've um, got them familiar with the nonsense word sound swaps. You can actually do that as a whole group. And I have done that myself and it's, it's very, very successful. There's also dictation. There's another way you can differentiate between the different um, age groups. So you can use closed sentences, a paragraph. So the, the older students will have to write everything. And then the younger students will have the closed sentences only having to write the CVC word that have covered, they've covered. And that's a great way to um, keep the whole class together as well. And I think the other thing which is really helpful is the reverse of the scripts. You've got the follow-up lessons. And these are really great if you need to set up one group independently while you work with another one. For example, lesson eight, sound, sound review. There's some great tabletop versions and that you can download from the trainee downloads on the main Soundtrack website. And you can get students to either sort um, independently or in small groups. And, and then that can leave an EA or a teacher to deliver a main lesson to younger students. So there is those, those follow up lessons are really, really valuable in the remote schools. And um, another great lesson, which I really like for um, independent work is um, lesson nine, seek the sound, where students, once you've set them up, they can look for words with the target sound in a phonic book or text that you've got, or you can even start bringing in um, subject specific texts as well that you've been using outside of the soundtrack phonics sessions and students can actually start looking for um, the target phonemes or words with the target phoneme in those texts. Um, now the other thing is what you can, well, the other thing you can do if you have students who are on different units in the initial code, whether it's whole class or small group interventions, is you can prepare individual word puzzles for lessons one or five or word cards for lesson four and deliver follow-up lessons to the whole group and um, each student's using individual puzzles or word cards and you know again we've got a lot of pre-prepared cards um, and word puzzles on the trainee downloads and you can have different students working at different units but you're delivering the same lessons and that works really really well with those follow-up lessons on the back of the main lesson scripts. Great, thank you. So final question, <laughs> as we draw this podcast to a close, what kinds of things do teachers at these schools need to be aware of when teaching sounds right in this particular context to make sure it works as well as it possibly can? I, I think the, the, main, the main one there is mastery of the scripts and error correction. Um, it's it really is so important in the, these um, areas where you know if you can imagine if you have a again a, a composite class of three three different age groups you've got English may as a second or third language for some or English you know they they haven't acquired English yet as well huge um, diversity in there and the having your own cognitive load reduced because you've got those scripts fully mastered and under your belt. And also the error correction is is really important because then you can, you know, differentiate with pace, you know, word structure. You can really be quite masterful to, to hold the whole class together. And it and it really ensures that you're going to respond be responsive to your student needs. 
And I think the other thing as well, making sure that all your resources are planned and organized before your soundtrack session. And I think that goes for, for any soundtrack practitioner. But again, you know, looking at if you've got different age groups, different needs, um, you don't know if the power is going to go out or your internet's going to drop off as well. Just having everything there at hand is really, really, really helpful. And again, keeping to a brisk pace so that students are engaged and also keep a variety of lessons as well, at least three, so that you know students get a really good mix of review, new knowledge and reading and writing and connected text as well. And we have some great planning documents on the downloads, which are really good for planning. And there's some another and there's some planning videos on the portal as well. So they're really, really good. And I think they're relevant to, you know, all schools. But in particular, I really, really would emphasize that for the for the, the small rural schools. And I think the other thing is knowing what resources are available, where they are and where they are. You know, we have talked about the portal and trainee downloads. So get yourself really, really familiar with them so you know what's there and what's at hand and what you can what you can use. And I know Spell South Australia has just produced some decodable books that follow the soundtrack sequence and feature Australian um, characters and landscapes, which are really helpful. And we've also got um, all the soundtrack decodable readers on the Australian online shop as well. And that's really, really helpful too. And there's also um, the first steps, initial code and first steps, extended code. And there are actually free downloads as well if you, um, if, if you want to use them straight away. And I think the other thing what, what you need to do if you're in a remote rural area too is keep up your training. Really keep connected with your soundtrack community. And we have um, Soundtrack Revisited. So as if you if you have trained from the 1st of September 2023, you're going to be able to eligible for that after one year of practicing Soundtrack. But if, if not, you know, please book on Soundtrack Revisited after a year of practicing because it really does polish up your skills. And we've also got master classes in phonic leads and intervention as well. So they're really, really helpful. And we've also got the the new practitioner and um, sorry the new phonic lead handbook and that is just full of useful advice and knowledge as well and it's all of these little tidbits you'll be able to pick up and i think um sounds right for years three to six is a fantastic course and i don't i, I still think year one two and three should be should be doing it because it expands on the polysyllabic lessons and it really looks at more depth on morphology and etymology of words and how to use and apply them with written text and they you know in the manual that goes with it is so valuable and it really becomes a, um, a part of i would say for more advanced um soundtrack ses sessions with with older students you can really start tearing and teasing these words apart and i think finally you know collegiate support collegiate support whether it's in your own school or ones close by via Zoom or Microsoft Teams. I know we have little clusters of schools and they do get together and visit each other and they have really good um, Zoom or Microsoft Teams meeting. And you can also keep in touch with other remote schools via the closed group Facebook page as well. So connecting with some of those other schools on there is helpful. And I know we've had emails before where someone said, oh, do you know any schools that have got this size or, you know, this this type of composite class? And we, we will, if we know, we'll put um, you in touch with them too. And um, and again, there's 
you know, if you've got certain questions for rural schools, you can put in, in the search of the closed group Facebook page a little question and you'll be amazed what comes up and often can um, answer your implementation questions and how to deliver the lessons. Great. Thank you so much, Helen. There's been, I think, so much useful advice in there for those people listening from school, small schools and really interesting for those of us who don't to dive into the world of rural Australian schools. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, Laura. It, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And um, yeah, I'll see you next time. Thank you, Laura. Bye.